You're listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I'm Rick Enlow, and I'm here with president of Leadership Foundations, Dave Hillis. Hi, Dave. Hey, Rick. It's great to be back at the microphones, and uh, we're once again um, pursuing this incredible uh, 40th anniversary year for Leadership Foundations, and we've been through this series of podcasts. This is actually number five, mm-hmm. and we have been looking at significant events, people, milestones, and, and in, our, in our previous podcast, which by the way, if you haven't listened, you can always uh, dial back and they're all archived on our website. But we talked about this development of leadership foundations as being, you know, just a group of, uh, you know, uh, really friends relationships, mm-hmm. just a deep sort of relational kind of community that starts to emerge into an organization. We want to take that a little further today yeah, and talk about how, uh, it actually has grown into a network and uh, and then developed a need to be specifically organized with a you know a central offices where we sit yeah. today yeah yeah and i i think it's uh, it's interesting to note rick that uh, while this is a particular story about the leadership foundations you know i think i would argue that you know going back to jesus and the disciples uh, you look at someone like the jesuits i mean you think about you know religious orders you even think about on the political end um, you know, certain uh, revolutions that have taken place that I think more often than not, the initial embryonic kind of idea is we like each other, we're friends. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, at some point, we decide, you know, to get organized yeah. uh, to somehow protect this. So I do think that uh, LF's story, while, you know, uh, in some ways is unique, it isn't special. Uh, it was exactly the way you described a group of friends uh, kind, of, kind of rallied around the initial vision of Sam Shoemaker and Reed, uh, people liked hanging out. And at some point they discerned, uh, you know, maybe we need to kind of outlive, you know, our relationships uh, and begin to organize ourselves moving forward. So Yeah, and I think, uh, like you said, there's not only a, a transference uh, principle-wise between what happened with LF and almost any organization that's had, you know, an impact, but also, uh, the, you know, the, the, the idea of, all of, oh, I'd say most of you guys as friends, um, you had a concept of incarnational mm-hmm. kinds of involvement because uh, a lot of young life kind of background, and that's, of course, a, yep. a ministry to young people that yep. was really founded on this idea that we're going to be, you know, with people. Like we're going to, you know, we're going to be embedded and nested yeah. in what's happening. Yeah. In fact, I, I've told the story, and I may have even told it on this podcast before, Rick, but I think this captures um, exactly what you've described and the reason that we needed to, at some point, move to an organization. I remember my very first Young Life kid uh, I met at Lincoln High School, 36 and G Street, and, of course, the Young Life mission was to you know, have him say yes to Jesus. Right. And that actually happened in pretty quick order. Um, I all of a sudden, though, discovered uh, a couple weeks later that uh, this kid uh, was in a class at Lincoln where you had to read below the fourth grade level to get into it. Hmm. And I remember kind of thinking, okay, that's not quite right. And so by definition, I began to become, you know, really an education reformer. Um, And a little bit later, I discovered that his father was in the correction system, and I became a chaplain. And so... I oftentimes tell the story that in leadership foundations, we really started with the particular, you know, a particular kid, Mm -hmm. uh, a particular neighborhood. But if we were going to love it in any kind of authentic and serious way, you had to begin to think about dealing with the systems that affect that kid, affect that neighborhood. And the only way you can deal with the system 
is in part to have or be a part of an organization that has the same kind of heft that can encounter it. So that that is repeated, uh, you know, from Pretoria to Philadelphia, from Delhi to Dallas, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a remarkable thing. Well, and you know, I, I remember attending one time uh, Dr. Friedman, who was one of the fathers of yeah. uh, systems counseling. And he started talking about how uh, he was fascinated with the idea that a, a, a tiny organism can, you know, get together uh, with other organisms and become an organ, which then becomes an organization, you know, and, and so exactly right. it's, it's yeah. kind of that developmental uh, stage that we're looking at today. And that is the idea of uh, kind of the formation um, and growth uh, of, of, of this group to where it became not only a network, but a uh, um, you know, there were leaders, you know, in the Leadership Foundation, mm-hmm. especially starting from the presidency of, you know, Reed and then all the way up to, to your presidency. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, during this time where uh, there was this migration from organism to organization, um, you know, t- take us on a little journey through that. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, of course, uh, our listeners know this part of the story already, but the first Leadership Foundation was Pittsburgh. Uh, Reed was the president of it, and the whole idea was simply to operationalize Sam Shoemaker's vision of Pittsburgh becoming, you know, as famous for God as it currently was for steel. Reed never had any intention to go beyond Pittsburgh, Um, Mm -hmm. and that actually in some ways, Rick, I oftentimes say is a little bit of both the genius, I think, and the favor of LF is it it never had any grand plan to, you know, become a global organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just simply started with one person, you know, grabbing one person's uh, vision and wanting to love, you know, his city well. Mm -hmm. Well, it worked. And so all of a sudden, you know, there's nothing quite like uh, success that breeds imitation. Yeah. A few other cities pop up. And by, you know, mid-80s, there were enough leadership foundations out there where it was like, you know, we really ought to probably at least show up and, and hang out together uh, a bit. Mm-hmm. And the first evolution of that was what was called the Council of Leadership Foundations. So that was a, a technically formal organization. But interestingly enough, um, it was uh, the way you qualified to get on the Council of Leadership Foundations was to be a president of a leadership foundation. And we, uh, we did that. I actually was a part of that for a few years. And so we didn't have any, you know, I mean, board capacity or, you know, any, you know, kind of organizational design. It was rather, you know, there's enough of us out there. We probably ought to have some things that we hold in common in the whole bit. So the Council of Leadership Foundations um, actually, um, you know, probably, you know, survived for, you know, a good 10 years. And it was in late uh, 1999, kind of 2000, that we said, you know, we're, we, we think we're onto something here and there is a need now to have kind of a mothership. Mm-hmm. And so at that point we incorporated into what was called the Council uh, or the Leadership Foundations of America. Mm-hmm. And we asked Reed to become the, uh, the first president. Uh, interestingly enough, Jerry Colangelo became the first board chair. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, um, I would say that that was a sea change for us as a, as a network. Um, we knew now that it wasn't just us as, you know, kind of a primus, right, where we're all hanging out together, but there really was a kind of guiding North Star on behalf of the of the network as a whole, and that was the central office. So, well, you know, the, even calling it a council is, I mean, in some ways, an advantage beyond uh, the idea of an early board, because like you, 
you really, you know, it's the iron sharpens iron, you know, mm-hmm. the, the wisdom and, you know, many counselors. And like mm-hmm. you said, a common uh, set of experiences, but in different cities. And so when this then emerged that, that we had to be uh, more structured and uh, more, you know, it began to develop, um, there were, there were some, also some other uh, sort of key, what we called them um, Ebenezer stones because of the mm-hmm. idea in the, in the mm-hmm. scripture that, you know, there are monuments that get set up. But part of uh, what happens in the history of uh, LF when you tell a story is this word bridge span comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, some right. people might not know what that means, but they, that was, they, a, they that they was a stone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they loom large. You know, I, uh, I'll answer that question directly. But prior to that, one of the, again, bits of genius of Reed um, was when he was in some ways dragged into creating, you know, the Leadership Foundations of America. I mean, there was a, and there has always been, I would say, Rick, a, a kind of aversion, you know, to anything too organized uh, for fear that it was going to somehow evolve into this bureaucratic red tape you yeah. know, weight that somehow is quenching the spirit. That's never happened. Yeah, never, <laughs> never. Um, but in that, when when Reed was persuaded, and it's important to note again that that we needed as his peers to persuade him to, to lead us, um, he very smartly said, okay, if we do this and we build a board of directors and we have people now like a Jerry Colangelo and others, um, we need to ensure that this thing is tethered um, to the Leadership Foundation movement. So in our original bylaws, um, it has, and it still holds today, uh, it has always been required to have a minimum of four local Leadership Foundation presidents mm-hmm. that get voted onto the board uh, by you know, our network representing them uh, and what is really going on in the in the field. And I think that kind of almost bicameral um, sort of governance, Rick, is, uh, is again, really attributable to Reed saying, um, okay, let's, let's not go the way of so many other organizations that lose touch with the ground. Yeah. Let's, let's ground this in that. Well, then to get to Bridgespan, um, there was a, a particular donor who, um, you know, oftentimes this is always a part of the equation, right? You're mm-hmm. talking to a donor, and this donor says, um, I think I will invest, um, but only after you go through a kind of, uh, you know, scrutiny evaluation by the best nonprofit uh, consulting group that, at least in his mind, existed in the world, and that's the Bridgespan Group. Mm-hmm. A little bit of the background of Bridgespan, interesting enough, is it came out of Bain and Company, and part of the way a lot of people know about Bain, of course, is that that's who Mitt Romney uh, worked for and made at least a couple dollars. Um, to this company's great credit, they said, look, we have made goo gobs of money around these best practices, these ideas, these business strategies. Um, well, what would happen if we took those and actually began to, uh, you know, use them in the nonprofit world? And mm-hmm. so Bridgespan was created out of that context. Mm-hmm. So they really are a stable full of what I would describe as, you know, kind of some of the, the best and the brightest that will come in and sit with your organization. In fact, they are, uh, it's rarefied air enough with them uh, that they actually interview you. You don't get to you know, <laughs> go and say, yeah. hey, I want to go through this process. And so, um, so the first round of Bridgespan uh, occurred in 2004 you know, or five, something like that. And sure enough, um, their conclusion, going back to this donor, was uh, 
you know, nobody's playing in this space that, that LF is playing in, and uh, they are worthy uh, of investment. And mm. so uh, Reed completed that um, under his, his tenure. And, of course, we can talk a little bit about this in a couple of minutes, but uh, then a few years later we went back to Bridgespan for our second round uh, when I was, was president, and we kind of walked through that as well. So Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's actually – double uh affirmation you know that they would you know select and mm-hmm. say that you know this is that they they find you know the lf uh, like worth investing in but at the same time uh then again it, it is a, a kind of a donor confidence move mm-hmm. when they hear that from a third party and then and then the work that they were contributing has resulted in uh, a far more articulate and uh, you know like just a tighter uh, way to explain, you know, yeah. what the work of the Holy Spirit through LF. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, uh, you know, as a, maybe a little aside here, um, you know, one of the kind of conversations I have with people a lot is succession and the whole idea of succession and what it looks like. And the biblical base that I use for it, Rick, is this notion of, you know, Paul running the good race when he's mm-hmm. describing himself in the good fight. And, and uh, I'll always pause and say, um, what kind of race do you imagine the Apostle Paul was referring to? Almost without exception, uh, the response is, well, you know, like a hundred yard meter dash. Mm-hmm. And, just, and I said, you know, that's obviously one interpretation, but do you think uh, it might be actually a relay race? And that uh, when Paul says, I ran the good race, maybe a more accurate translation is, I ran the good leg. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows the key uh, to a successful relay race, right, is, of course, the baton pass. Right. So to Reed's great credit, um, when he passed the baton to me, um, he is, he's been remarkable in doing that. And one of the things he said in that, that, uh, that relay baton pass is here's the initial findings of Bridgespan. Um, you know, this is kind of the blueprint. Um, here is what they're suggesting is the way forward. And Dave, it's my hope that, uh, you know, when you are prepared, when you are ready, when you feel like LF has gotten to the next level, that we'll go back to bridge span. So that whole bridge span idea that you asked about, Rick, has been very key in mm-hmm. terms of uh, the succession uh, that has taken place, I think, you know, pretty successfully within LF. Well, yeah. I mean, at this point, we're talking about how many years ago? 2000. Well, uh, so I took uh, Reed's place in 2008, mm-hmm. and then uh, I had, yeah, about six, uh, six and a half years to get my feet under me. And then uh, <laughs> and it was at that point that we felt like we were ready for Bridgespan uh, 2.0. Yeah, and, and not that we would, uh, you know, overstate it or jump the gun, but after a decade, you, you really can evaluate the, the baton pass. You know, mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. see it. And that's one of the things when we were talking to Reed that uh, he was saying is that upon reflection, you know, that was one of the takeaways we had from uh, when he was sharing. And just that the, the more you look back and you think about how things have gone, the more you start to see, uh, you know, the grace and the wisdom you yeah. know, that was that was a, yeah. a part of, the, of this process. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, this has now become a little bit of one of those kind of mythic stories in, in LF. Um and I don't know if we've shared it on this podcast, but it's again, you know, and looking back over my shoulder, when I had been asked to take Reed's place and was in the interview with the board, so the Jerry Colangelos and, and others of this world, you know, I had obviously just done some doctoral work um, on 
the theology of the leadership foundations. It ultimately was what created the term that became the title of the LF book, City is Playground. Right. But in the course of the, uh, of the uh, interview, I made the comment, I said, you know, I, I liken leadership foundations to having a particular gift uh, similar to Catholic orders. And, uh, you know, the board's kind of nodding, and I said, in a particular gift that the Holy Spirit gave Sam, that gave Reed, and now gave the rest of us, is that we see the city as a playground rather than a battleground. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you know, the interview at this point, Rick, is going well. Uh, everyone's nodding. But then I say, however, I said, unlike the Benedictines, where it takes you seven years to become a Benedictine and it takes you 13 years to be a Jesuit, as best as I can tell under Reed Carpenter, if you like good cigars and good scotch, you can become a leadership foundation about half a night. <laughs> and, the, and the board did exactly what you said. And I said, and so here's, here's the challenge. Um, how do I take this gift, this charism, this entrepreneurial spirit of Reed with some of the recommendations that uh, Bridgepan has made and now begin to discipline it, overlay it with a kind of rigor, but not lose that that mm -hmm. you know oomph yeah. right, that makes leadership foundation so good, and it really now I didn't know it then, Rick, but it was exactly this um, challenge I think in charge I had is, you know, yes, you need to build an organization, Dave. That that is going to be your job these next however many years you're in this job, but do not, you know, do not lose the organism. Mm -hmm. um, you know that that. Those, those things out there that are alive and moving and incarnational and, and, and just so transformative, uh, you can't lose that. Yeah. So when I look back over my shoulder these last 10 years, of which my experience with Bridgespan really kind of coalesced this, uh, it's been that toggling, right, mm -hmm. back and forth. I mean, where do you get enough organization? Whoops, maybe too much organization. Where do you go back and re-grab or, or regain a little bit of that organism? And, mm -hmm. And it's a, you know, most of the time it's a delightful um, challenge to wake up to, but there are times where it's like, oh my God, you know, this is, <laughs> this is, this is not for the faint of heart. Well, and <laughs> one way that you've described that, um, and I've heard you say this, is that, you know, uh, to uh, define an organ organization by its core, not its borders, mm -hmm. that, that kind of speaks to that totally. sort of, you know, yeah. that idea that, you know, we got to always stay true to what's going on, but then there are borders there. Are, I mean, there are some boundaries. There's some, you know, some yeah. things that define us on the edge. Yeah. Um, now, uh, one of the things that, uh, uh Bridgespan's work has helped, uh, define is what we would call kind of like the theory of change or the way the, the you know, a, a way to articulate the process that we're involved in, even though each city is unique yeah. and each, uh, leadership foundation has a, uh, unique, you know, involvement and application, but there are some common, you know, um, you know, common, uh, what would you say, you know, uh, principles, uh, things at play that are, mm -hmm. that are, that are, that cause LF to coalesce and say, this is what we're up to. This is the theory that's at yeah. play here. Yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the moment, you know, there was again, another part of the event or the evolution we're down at Lady Lodge, where you and I had spoken about Lady Lodge mm -hmm. and its importance in the past. Uh, when uh, Bridgespan sat down with me to kind of work out the contract, there were a number of different elements, including but not limited to, I had to meet with them every week to kind of, you know, look at the data and hear the evaluation, which was definitely not always a pleasant <laughs> experience. 
Um, just as an aside, I, you know, people have asked, well, what was the experience like? And I said, you know, it's a little bit like kind of being in a relationship with a, a benevolent agnostic. I mean, <laughs> they're benevolent. I mean, to this day, Leslie McCrell, who was the lead, is still a, a dear friend. And uh, every time I go back to New York, we usually have lunch together. But she would then sit down with me and, you know, look at the data and uh and she was agnostic in that sense i mean it was thrown to the curb if we didn't have a way to support it sure yeah well another one of the elements was that we actually had to have a board retreat with them you know including our senior associates and the whole bit and so we decided well you know why not go back to lady lodge with uh you know bridge span 2.0 and it was just a remarkable experience rick where we're sitting there and we're you know you know talking about things and what works and the whole bit and sort of what you know we had already discovered was you know this idea that we think you know every leadership foundation um, is usually about uh, or engaging leaders of good faith and goodwill you know build building the capacity of others and developing joint initiative but we'd never really connected them mm-hmm. you know, it was like you know that's kind of what we do we'd use it in this very loose way and I remember Leslie standing up and saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna survey here. Um, how many of you think that engaging leaders of good faith and goodwill is the most important thing? And there's like a couple hands go up. <laughs> how many of you think it's building capacity of others? You know, three or four hands go up. How many of you think it's developing joint, lifts, joint initiatives? A couple of hands go up. And she goes, hmm, she goes, that's not conclusive. And I remember there was this pause and then you know someone said, well, there's a fourth option here. And, you know, to Leslie's, you know, it's like, well, what would the fourth option be? We've only got three functions. Mm-hmm. Well, how many of you believe that all three need to take place simultaneously? And I mean, the majority of the hands went up in the air. And there was just this aha moment. Um, mm-hmm. and I remember looking around. I remember Leslie looking at me, me looking at her, me looking at Jack Fortin and kind of going, you know, I think we're having a eureka moment. Um, mm-hmm. And it was there, uh, Rick, that the official baptism uh, took place of our, you know, theory of change, what we call our wheel of change, mm-hmm. uh, the three functions, that that's the way we cultivate uh, the playground. You know, this is how we decide where slides and swing sets and sandbox goes. Mm-hmm. And so everything now since then has been built in and around the wheel of change, you know, something like the stages of impact tool, which we diagnose with is out of that. Uh, our senior associate strategy springs out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, even something like the global youth initiative um, is, you know, is as good as it is, um, you know, uh, kind of empowered by the wheel of change. And the beauty of it is exactly what you said, uh, is that it allows local cities to be living, breathing organisms, and they get their own contextual response. But we now have a common process um, that allows all of us to speak the same language, to use the same framework, to you know take on the same kind of evaluation uh, data, et cetera. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's I guess that's the word I was searching for was process. I think that's a great word, and it, it's uh, it's so. Um, what makes the Eureka part of it uh, so resonating, you know, when you listen to what happened is that it's it's not that often that something becomes, you know, a, a navigation tool as well as a diagnostic tool. Mm-hmm. You know, like it gives you insight into where you're headed, but also how you, you know, helps you evaluate whether, you know, you're hitting the mark. 
And, uh, and so totally yeah, that's been really, really, uh, super helpful. And a, a key, I think in this, uh, this movement between organism mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the original passion of mm-hmm. what's going on and organization. Yep. Yeah. 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 In fact, I think you're exactly right. It is, it took those two tensions or those two sides and kind of attached them to one another in a way that I think, uh, again, not perfectly, but I think LF would have a hard time today uh, to ever go back to the old, you know, organism. Let's just kind of get out there and see what, you know, the spirit's up to. But it also protects us because it doesn't have a outcome, you know, that, that we all are aiming for. I mean, is it housing? You know, is it church planting? Is it mentoring? Um, so, yeah, to be able to kind of now toggle back and forth between the two and, and know that, you know, as I oftentimes say to local leadership foundations, you're going to feel that tension. Um, but that tension is actually a right and healthy and helpful thing if, uh, if understood. Well, and, and that kind of brings me to this, uh, this question, which we've been sort of dancing around, and that is um, this, this idea that you have to pay attention to the content of an organization, but also the culture. Talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit, because th- those are two other ways to express this, you know, tension. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, even to, to back up half a step and say, so anytime... Um, something takes place in LF. Um, I mean, I think, again, a part of my leadership kind of style um, is to kind of go, okay, where is that referenced or not, um, you know, in the scripture, mm-hmm. in theological discourse? And one of the one of the things that has always fascinated me um, is particularly the book of Acts and to begin to watch this, you know, classic sort of organism, mm-hmm. you know, begin to bubble up and you have this thing called Pentecost. And, you know, I always like to tell people, you know, I mean, they were uh, accused of being drunk, mm-hmm. um, which me to me seems to be a biblical justification to drink that it's that <laughs> close to aligned with the behavior of the spirit. But, you know, and so now all of a sudden the, the chapters, you know, begin to, to kind of move out and and the arc of course is to watch that this thing that was you know for the jewish you know community uh is beginning to you know move out into non-jewish communities Mm -hmm. you know maybe one of the most riveting you know moments uh you know comes when uh you know philip and the ethiopian eunuch Mm -hmm. um i mean what we oftentimes describe as you know an african american or african uh finance minister right um, and, you know, this encounter, I mean, you couldn't, you know, be more removed. The Jewish, you know, Philip circumcised with the uncircumcised or, you know, lack thereof. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, and so the question that, that the book of Acts is beginning to wrestle with is, is that stuff outside of the Jewish community real? Is it authentic? Mm-hmm. And so again, things continue to kind of bump along, but but this seminal moment comes in Acts 15, where Barnabas and Paul, who have been the you know the sort of voices out to the Gentile community, um, you know they they think they're seeing the real thing, but they still haven't gotten the uh, you know sort of house good housekeeping seal of approval from Mother Church. Right. So they go back, and of course the famous council takes place. Yeah. 
and they pronounce um, yes you know indeed you know it appears that God's favor is on the Gentiles and and here is a very simple list of instructions but you know go forth with our blessing and I I have thought Rick that 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 is the the prototype of sorts of what you know we need to do and why we need to have something like an organization mm -hmm. because an organization is when it's at its best trying to you know uh, pay attention to you know what is the content of the thing i mean what what actually is happening but what's also the way it's happening you mm -hmm. know is it in keeping with what we understand to be um, a part of who we are and uh, I think that, again, just as an aside, the, the genius of the church is now 21 ecumenical councils later, and you name the subject, but that's what they've always been kind of dealing with. Let's look at the content, and then let's look at the, you know, kind of way, uh, the culture of the way in which that content is expressed. And so that, you know, for me, is, uh, is the energy and the motivation for something like the LF, um, you know, organization. What we're trying to pay attention to all the time is to discern how and in what ways uh, the spirit is working mm -hmm. out in our cities and we believe she is out there in abundant ways but now what is that content yeah. and, and how is she working and how can we then curate that in such a way that we can give it to others mm -hmm. uh, both in our movement as well as our partners so and I think that when you do that you also uh, you include both what you're doing and how you're doing it mm -hmm. in the same, mm -hmm. you know, evaluation. Cause I think sometimes people just do one or the other that's in terms exactly of organizations. Right. Well, this is what we're doing. Yeah. That's and exactly then you say, right. well, like, but you know, the, the way that that's being walked out is, you know, not, not consistent. That's so exactly I think right. that's, what's uh, so important. Like you said, to pay attention to. Yep. And of course, um, in all of these areas, you know, organism, organization, you know, the content, the culture, there's always this, uh, tension right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh so how do you you know how do you give me an example of how you um you know you kind of navigate that tension between saying you know hey we want to be faithful to you know to what we're you know all about and what we were called to but then at the same time we have to ask ourselves how you know how is this being lived out and yeah. back and forth yeah yeah i will um and i'll give you a a positive example i would be uh less than honest if I didn't say I could give you many <laughs> where it's like whoops we just missed it on yeah, that well, one so yeah that's good um yeah I mean I think the the one that's most most uh, obvious right now is what's happened with the global youth initiative and so again the backdrop and of course our, our listeners will know this you know LF never prescribes to a local leadership foundation what they need to do on the ground mm -hmm. um you know we want you know, Abhishek Gear or Larry Lloyd um, or Lisa Slayton to be uh, as freed up as possible, you know, through these these three functions, this wheel of change, yeah, right. to engage their city. Um, but probably five, six years ago, you know, we begin to kind of just get reports. I mean, not unlike Acts 15, where it's like, hey, we're doing a lot of stuff here with kids. Um, and I mean, makes sense. We've got this young life background. Cities yeah. are full of kids, but you know, we're doing, yeah, we're doing a lot. And then, you know, oh, well, great, wonderful. That's, that's your joint initiative. And then, you know, 3,000 miles away, we'd hear another local leadership foundation say, well, you know, we're actually doing some tough stuff too. And, 
And, uh, you know, we begin to pay attention to all of these different local leadership foundations that were doing stuff with, with kids. And we said, is it time, right, because that's the organism part. Right. But is it time now to organize this, um, to move it to a level of scale and scope um, where we can, for example, take all of these little organisms and engage something like the Department of Justice or to become a force to sit down with something like uh, the uh, Retired Players Basketball Association. And so it was in that context, Rick, that uh, a number of us um, pulled this together and created the Global Youth Initiative. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a, a great example of still protecting the, the organism response on the ground. I mean, what, again, you know, someone like Sam Ratshaker in Bangalore is doing with kids on the ground is obviously different than what's happening, uh, you know, in a place like Stockton and um, Bud Lock. Um, but there's enough in common, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a commitment to relationship, uh, to do it incarnationally, um, you know, to uh, kind of see the whole kid. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was that was the discernment process, and it's it's allowed us now, I think, to uh, to get to a place where. You know, Eric Geary heads it up for us. We're able actually to um, have a relationship with the Department of Justice, and we of course couldn't do that if we didn't have you know the organizational structure to right. measure things and evaluate things and give sub awards and all of that. But we've also you know uh, got this group that's always trying to pay attention to. You know, are we still relational? Are we still incarnational? All that sort of thing. So that would be a positive example. Yeah, and wouldn't you say, Dave, that um, maybe even in your description, it's helpful to identify the fact that this was, uh, you recognize this as an organic, you know, organism kind of response that was, you know, in common. Then it was time to organize it. I think That's so right. many other times I've seen people that, you know, yeah. you know that try to, create an organization and then try to, you know, push it into some organic space that, you know, it doesn't even fit. And so that's I think exactly that part right. of the lesson is yeah. th that it came that direction. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, now, uh, when we, uh, kind of wrap up our talk here, but, uh, 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 here's a, a phrase I'm just going to throw out. I've heard you say, you know, I've, I've, I see it, uh, written here and there on some of our documents, <laughs> but right. false dichotomy. Yeah, I mean, so when you think about this whole conversation that we're having, um, you know, we kind of moved to that place, Rick, where it's like, well, what is some of the ramifications? What's some of the things now, LF being 40 years old, that we've learned about, you know, um, kind of who we are and what and how this might contribute? One of them is I do think, uh, not just as individuals, but organizations fall into what what I oftentimes say is a false dichotomy, um, the notion that it's either this or that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, again, think about that in my own life. Um, you know, I think about that in this organizational life. And one of the things that I'm, I'm always trying to be mindful of is when someone says, well, either it's the red pill or the blue pill, mm -hmm. uh, and your choice is going to make all the difference, to kind of pump the brakes for a moment and say, is that? true mm -hmm. and one of the things again that I discovered time and time again is Jesus taking these false dichotomies uh, and breaking them up and saying you know actually there's a there is a third way to move forward so in the case of this 
particular false dichotomy, Rick, it's the notion that it's not either an organism, you know, something that's on the ground, authentic, contextual, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, it's this organization that, you know, has these, you know, kind of rules and laws of engagement. Uh, it really is uh, both, mm -hmm. and, and that they can actually be friends with each other. Uh, the one can fuel, you know, a sense of authenticity and, you know, again, relevance. The other can say, I'm going to be here tomorrow, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm not something that's going to pass through and that uh, you won't, you know, be able to hold accountable. So, yeah, and, you know, I think part of the insurance uh, against the false dichotomy is some of the wisdom you talked about where there's four the local leadership presidents that are part of, you know, mm -hmm. the board, those kinds of structural elements um, really help, you know, that yeah. maintain that exchange, yeah. you know, and not just walk off into bureaucracy, yeah. you know, because you have people that are at work with kids yeah. and who say, you know, well, you know what, let's bring reality into this. But at the same time, like you said, you, you have to have a pretty sophisticated accounting system in order to manage a grant, you know, at a national level. Yeah, so, I mean, right. both those are really important. Now here, yeah. here, uh, throw a little Catholic, uh, on us here. Uh, <laughs> you're my, you're my Catholic mentor. Throw, throw some Catholic hey, on I'll, you. <laughs> uh, I'm here for the Pentecostal references, but, uh, but the idea of subsidiary, is it, su no, it's subsidiary. What is it? How do you subsidiarity? Okay. Arity. Okay. Subsidiarity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll I'll throw some Catholic on you. Yeah. Um, so w one of the things that has uh, kind of been interesting for me, uh, and this sort of operates within the political discourse of our time, is you have again, and this will be a false dichotomy, but the notion <laughs> of you know government, um, and you know we divide up around uh, big government, and little government, mm -hmm. um, and we you know we have these wars. Um, well, the Catholic Church has had this this concept, I mean, for, you know, eons, Rick, and, and the notion was, you know, again, it's not lots of government, little government, but the question becomes, who is in the best position um, to impact whatever the issue is in front of you? And so here's the way this kind of plays out, um, and as a result, if you can define that well, well, mm -hmm. then you might need big government. Or on another situation, you might need small government. So a good example is when, you know, I hear and I'm talking with my friends who are, you know, somewhat conservative and just think that anything around big government, you know, is smacks of, of all things wrong with this world. You know, you bring up a Katrina situation. Nobody, you know, that I know, conservative or liberal alike, was saying that the federal government should not be involved in that. Yeah, the because scope, it, scope of it was scope of yeah. it was so huge, and so so you have to have the federal government. I mean, and that that's the subsidiary arity, you know, issue is that they're the ones that are in the best position to actually do something about this problem in front of us. Mm -hmm. If what we're talking about is we don't like that stoplight at the corner of Twenty Third and M anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then federal government is probably a little bit of an overkill. Um, and the principle of subsidiarity is maybe it's that precinct, right, who has the ability to make that decision quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that idea of, of subsidiarity, uh, Rick, for me is, is constantly what I'm trying to kind of pay attention to in this organism, organization mm -hmm. sort of, you know, um, reality. Um, we'll have a particular issue that'll, you know, kind of surface and 
the first question I want to ask is who is in the best position mm -hmm. to deal with that effectively? And that's the person uh, that we should be empowering. Um, oh, that might be a group of people that we should empower. And again, you're just working yourself up and down the ladder mm -hmm. based on that principle. And I, I think that's been, again, very, very effective, uh, particularly as I've tried to, for example, build out the LF central office. I mean, here would be another good example about uh, subsidiarity. When we were thinking about um, a structure that could help with our local leadership foundations, I mean, they're out there doing these amazing things and, you know, how do we, how do we organize them? How do we hold them accountable? Um, of course, you know, one recommendation would have been, well, you have an office within the central office um, that is operations manager or something like that mm -hmm. and all the layers of that. But as we thought about it, we said, well, actually it's other local leadership foundation presidents Right, that have run organizations effectively, that have faced the kind of issues our local leadership foundations are wrestling with, that probably are in the best position to really be a, a helpful coach or mentor for local leadership foundations. So we created the senior associates. Right. And we have 21 of those women and men right now who meet with our local leadership foundations on a monthly level. But it's not a whole new level of bureaucracy. Um, it's just simply empowering women and men who are already out there uh, and are in the best position to really help these new leadership foundations that are coming on board. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, when you when you describe that, I think that um, that helps an organization uh, not end up even having conversations that are, uh, you know, at the municipal level, you know, in a federal forum. Yeah. You know, because that's what happens in so many organizations that you know spend like all of their time talking about something and thinking like like. What are we doing here? Yeah. Meanwhile, the the things that are right. really profound, uh, you know, get pushed off the agenda. Yeah. So I think that's a very important um, um, concept. And I didn't know what it was called, but uh, I think we should all, uh, you know, use subsidiarity in our local vocabulary think, for I a think, week or two. I think it'd even be repurposed in the <laughs> Pentecostal church, Rick. I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> no, but you know, the, the, uh, the little note I have uh, on what you were talking about is, uh, you know, is to listen down and talk up. I think that's a good, yeah. I mean, that's a good way to, to rephrase it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and even to go full circle as we wind up, I mean, I, again, I think about this whole conversation about how does LF grow up and mature? I mean, I think that could probably capture it, you know, as well as anything yeah. um, that there is a spirit, I think within LF where we're trying to always uh, listen down because we really do believe that the Holy spirit inhabits cities um, she's speaking all the time. And so how do we listen to that mm -hmm. and then begin to report up? Here's what it means. Here's yeah. what it looks like. So, yeah, well, we are in this journey, uh, podcast journey that is of unrolling the, the history of the 40th year of uh, leadership foundation. There's a good, uh, uh, possibility that you're listening and you're thinking, Hey, you're forgetting something, you know, what about this? Or this is a great idea. Mm -hmm. So, uh, stay in touch with us and send us an email info at leadershipfoundations.org. And uh, we'll wrap up episode five and look forward to uh, meeting you again on episode six as we continue. Sounds good. Really. All right. Thanks.